in search of the greatest teams in business who are creating meaningful customer experiences. This is Heart of Business with Anthony Canada and L.B. Harvey. Welcome to the Heart of Business. I am Anthony Canada. And I'm L.B. Harvey. And L.B., we just got through Super Bowl weekend. Hopefully your team won. I'm not sure. Are you a, a Bucks fan or wh- which direction were you leaning kind of for the game? My team did not win. Okay. I was uh, Kansas City Chiefs all the way. Admittedly, mostly because I wanted to see Tom Brady lose, which is yes. probably not, not a great. I'm a, I'm a Pat Mahomes fan, too. We did watch it. Not a great second half. No. The the Bucks kind of swept, and um, I was a little underwhelmed by the Chiefs' defense and lack of ability to get some offense going. Yeah. So, but in positive news, I did enjoy the T-Mobile commercials. A little uh, Blake Sheldon, Adam Levine, Gwen Stefani, and then yep. of course the uh, Gronk Brady. Hilarious on the concept of sort of like missed connections with bad reception. That's right. I'd give the entire kind of Super Bowl ad market this year a solid B. Like it wasn't a breakout year, but I definitely think the T-Mobile commercial uh, commercials, excuse me, were probably the top of the cake. The other highlights from my perspective, Reddit. If you saw the five-second commercial yeah. that they had, a little publicity stunt that they ran. And then our friends at Gong yes. had, a, had a video, has had a commercial, which is super, super exciting. Yeah, it was really cool to see uh, Gong in particular, just as a product we use all the time here at Front, and then also fellow Sequoia Company um, get out there in the you know the big show, the Super Bowl. Totally, it's inspiring from the marketing end, wanting to get to a place where the Front Super Bowl commercial is uh, is aired. Kudos again, thanks for the folks at Gong for blazing the trail there. Uh, but the other video that I think has taken uh, the world by storm ever since the Super Bowl wasn't an ad. It was actually the cat lawyer video. Oh my goodness. Those that don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) the cat lawyer videos must see TV. I believe now there's uh, almost 900,000 views, surely to pass uh, a million views any minute now, of a court hearing in Texas that was over Zoom. Uh, LB, you watched this, right? I did. And one of the, uh, I don't know if he was an attorney, if he was a, <laughs> a prosecutor, whoever this person was. Or defendant. It was a unclear. Defendant. Very <laughs> unclear who this person was. But he showed up with a filter on his Zoom of him as a cat. And the hilarity ensued. He couldn't get the filter off. You probably know what happens next. But I think the best part was he ended the video with an iconic, I am not a cat. To just remind... <laughs> all viewers that he was indeed a human with a uh, cat filter. So I thought that was just an important moment of levity in a uh, otherwise busy season of life. And as a fellow person who sometimes struggles adjusting to new technology, maybe I shouldn't admit that as a person in, in tech, but it's true. The adoption curve is different for all of us. Just the the back and forth was hilarious. Like he was trying to get his assistant to help <laughs> fix it. Yeah. And yes, I am not a cat. Uh, ending was just. I don't know. It was like hilarious and also for me, somewhat relatable. Like I I definitely had a moment of empathy of like, this guy's just trying to show up on this court case looking good again, roll unclear um, and like couldn't get it together to remove this kind of weird filter. It actually happened to me. It happened to me in a real (laughs) meeting. I downloaded the snap camera uh, addition to the Zoom thing. And I showed up to a meeting straight up as an external meeting as a talking potato and didn't know how to turn it off because I forgot that I downloaded the snap camera thing. A lot <laughs> less funny when I think, to your point, someone in tech doesn't know how to unpotato themselves, but surely funny with a, a Texas court hearing. 
But LB, you mentioned uh, being slow to adopt technology. I have to ask, are you on Clubhouse? I am so not on Clubhouse. <laughs> and I'd love to say I know exactly what it is and have just chosen not to join, but like fill me in. Yeah. It's hard to explain, right? Clubhouse is this public forum where you can basically, as an attendee or as an audience member, listen in on what otherwise would be pretty private one-on-one or conference call conversations. And so there could be investors talking about the future of you know, SaaS companies. There could be like cryptocurrency experts talking about how to navigate the Bitcoin world. And you as an individual consumer can join. I think the coolest part of the platform is the serendipity that kind of happens where uh, all of a sudden someone could jump into that call, be it an expert. And so unexpectedly now somebody joins. Or you yourself could raise your hand and say, look, I've got something to say and potentially be called up into this this conversation with some people of influence. And so the big news from this week was that apparently Elon Musk and Kanye West are about to have a clubhouse room that they're going to set up at some point here in the future, which again, as you can imagine, the serendipitous nature of who else is going to pop into that call and what the heck are they going to talk about? These are the reasons why Clubhouse is uh, a pretty interesting new platform that's that's been popping up. I have to admit, I enjoy being a fly on the wall with Elon Musk and Kanye yeah. West. I feel like that conversation is going to go a lot of different directions. Totally. Yeah. The path to getting Elon to adopt your product, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good milestone, I think, in a, the life of a subscription company. All right. Now it's time for a segment that we like to call Deep Dive. So there was a great article, LB, that just came out on TechCrunch from Roger Lee at Battery Ventures. And full disclosure, Roger was uh, on our board at Gainsight. I had the pleasure of being a Battery Ventures employee for a short tenure of time before uh, before joining Front. Nice. And have a lot of affinity for this group. So we'll, we'll get that out of the way. But one thing that Battery is really focused on is really these uh, this idea of marketplace businesses. And they've invested in companies like StockX. Uh, and several others. So in this article, Roger's talking about how what he calls end-to-end operators are the next generation of consumer businesses. And what do we mean by end-to-end? Well, we've kind of come from this world where consumers have been interested in buying sort of point solutions versus buying everything from one vendor. And that increasingly, there's a trend forming where uh, companies are turning to call it Peloton for more than just their at-home gym equipment but they want their classes from Peloton. They want to go into the gym and actually bring their Peloton like identity record with them and do classes in the gym. So Peloton acquired one of the larger manufacturers of fitness equipment. And so as an example, now these companies are saying, we need to own the end-to-end food chain and give customers the opportunity to buy more from us. So from a Wall Street kind of investor perspective makes a lot of sense. Totally get it, right? To be able to have cross-sell into your committed install base to the long tail of customers. But from the customer perspective, it's interesting. It's it's a trend that I think might end up finding its way into the B2B kind of enterprise software space is do customers want to go and get point solutions that are best of breed or do they want to turn to incumbents and buy everything within that one kind of sphere and, and one category from a single company. And so I'm curious, Elby, what your 
take is on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there are some places this makes sense. Uh, something that I can directly relate to in, in my life is, you know, we all remember when Netflix was simply kind of a distribution channel for movies. Um, gosh, I mean, even back in the day, they used to send you hard CDs <laughs> and discs. Um, and then they've clearly evolved. And, you know, in addition to a streaming service, they're now like developing their own content. And that makes really good sense to me. In the B2B space, as someone who buys technology, I think there's some places where even as a, a buyer, I'd rather simplify my process and not have to go evaluate like five different solutions and deal with one partner or vendor and simplify the process. And then there are cases where the problem you're trying to solve is so big that you want to go out and find the best of breed even in a point solution and the juice is worth the squeeze to do so. So I think it's like, this is going to, I can believe that consolidation makes sense. The knock on it is, do you get so big and unfocused as a business that you um, allow better point solution innovators to come and deliver something that's so much better and solves a very real problem that customers are willing to go out and buy that and it essentially steals from your wallet share. So I guess my, my take is like, in some places this makes sense, in some places it doesn't. I don't think there's a there's a perfect answer here. I think the, the answer's in the middle on this one. I think that's right. I think um, at least in the B2B software side, we kind of started from this end-to-end -end space, didn't we? With the Microsofts of the world and others yeah. that gave you email and productivity software and video and you know Active Directory, you kind of security work. And today, there's a lot of great public scale businesses in Okta and Zoom and Slack and others that are competing with parts of Microsoft's end to end product suite. And so we've kind of moved along in, as, a, as an industry to thinking about API based connectivity and kind of platform based technology to really kind of plug all these different things together. And seemingly that is still the future, but I wonder if, if there's a, something we can learn from what Roger and the, the battery team are seeing in the consumer world. They go on to say there's actually five benefits they name for why brands should own the entire experience. First is you get a chance to go after some very large markets. Obviously, a collection of niche markets together becomes a pretty large opportunity. Uh, second is you're able to create a better consumer experience versus the status quo. Third, you're able to marry technology and your data as a core differentiator and moat around the company, which is really interesting, actually, if all if you have one common data set and one profile of your customer, but understanding kind of many, many different use cases given the product breadth. They talk about superior unit economics relative to legacy incumbents, which again, makes sense given some of the ability to cross-sell, probably lower customer acquisition costs since they're already customers in many cases. And your potentially lower cost to, to serve and implement as well, right? Because- yeah. You know, you have a, a larger wallet share from the start and, and theoretically the complexity of implementation isn't that much higher. Totally, totally agree. And then the last, the last benefit that Roger and Battery were talking about here, owning the entire end-to-end -end chain of the, of the business, uh, brands can build trust, which I agree with. If you've got one brand promise that connects all of these different products and all of these different products as the how are helping you tell a story to your customers that's really about the why, the unifying why. That's something you can really build on from a content perspective. That's something you really develop a lot of organic growth around. So that last part really resonates with me in general. 
I agree. I think like one interesting counter example to this might be, you know, Salesforce recognized the need for internal communication outside of email around deals. And so they tried to form Salesforce chatter, yeah. which would have been sort of like solving a big problem around all things, revenue management and communication around that and chatter like fell on its face. <laughs> and then yeah, they ended totally. up spending what, like way over 20 billion to acquire Slack. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a perfect, and, and look like now they are to your point or batteries point, I should say, um, solving this problem more holistically, but it, it's a great example of where like a company tries to do that through their own product development. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense because the problem they're trying to solve is so big that people are willing to go and have a separate evaluation process and and, and purchase cycle for something yeah. that looks like best in class. Yeah. It's so interesting. Salesforce is like the, it's such a good example here because they've built the masterclass for this. They've developed App Exchange and the various kind of Salesforce partnership programs as a way to have a bunch of point solutions integrate with their product as the quote unquote customer success platform, I forget what they're referring to themselves as today. And beyond it, they cherry pick and they buy some of these folks. And so next thing you know, you've got marketing cloud and e-commerce cloud and so on and so forth. So they're sort of straddling the line of, of hey, what are we comfortable being, you know, recognizing the 10% market uh, partner kind of revenue share on and what do we want to go and own? And they're able to really have some some privileged access to what businesses are doing and where that overlap makes sense. Absolutely. All right. It's time for actually my favorite segment, LB. Are you talking about heartbeats? I'm talking about heartbeats. All right. Well, for those who are tuning in for the first time or simply need a refresher, Heartbeats is our section where we bring some of the good news happening out there in the business world. I'd still say a couple months into 2021, most of what's going on in the news feed is moderate to not amazing news. And so this section <laughs> is dedicated to going out and seeking the good news stories out there in the business world, the companies that are pivoting and innovating and bringing some good news here to 2021. And we've got two interesting uh, stories to talk about in Heartbeats today. The first, AK, uh, that I'm hoping you can yeah. uh, share a bit with our listeners on is the fact that Uber is going to be offering free rides to Walgreens in an effort to help underserved communities have access to vaccines. That's totally right. And I think they're partnering with Walgreens stores in, in key markets. But the idea is that if people book a vaccine appointment, and they don't have transportation coming from these communities, they're able to obviously have a ride uh, completely free. And they're piloting this program in Chicago. Yeah. So hat tip to LB, your, your, your hometown, Chicago Bulls. Love it. Atlanta. Houston and El Paso, Texas, which is obviously really exciting. And, and you know, we, we love to see this kind of interaction coming from, from the private sector. The reason they're, they're partnering with Walgreens is they're actually playing an expanded role in the vaccine rollout starting this week as it gets direct shipments of doses and they're able to administer shots in, in 15 states. And I'll be, I know we've talked about vaccines a lot uh, online and offline here. Fauci today said that come April, it's going to be, quote, open season for anyone that wants a vaccine is his prediction. So I'm hoping this is the beginning of the end. I really am picking up more and more optimism um, with, with some of the information coming out. I know that uh, 
Some of the news is sharing that COVID's really on a decline. Obviously, we have to remain vigilant, but a lot of the spikes we saw coming out of the holidays seem to be coming down. And so it's it's good news. Good, good, good news. And uh, man, if we could be back in offices and traveling and just safely seeing loved ones, friends, families, et cetera, this summer, um, it'd be pretty amazing. So speaking of vaccines and more kind of like post-COVID world news, our second heartbeat story is that Target is offering extra pay, free transportation to its hourly employees who get COVID vaccines. I love it. I mean, all seeing these businesses kind of step up and be able to help be part of the solution is so, I mean, if you can get your war- heart warmed around business, this has to be one area where it does in fact warm. And Target in particular here is offering four hours of pay completely free to hourly workers, give them a chance to step away, and and go and, and and get vaccinated. And actually, it turns out there's more than a dozen companies that have announced additional pay or really any other incentives to convince their workforce to go on and get the shots. And the idea, I think, in general is that as supply of the vaccines increase, we're going to see community groups, local leaders, and more companies like Target and Uber step up to really persuade more folks to to get the shots or help them overcome any potential barriers whether it's a lack of childcare, transportation, time off work, whatever the case is. So good on you, Target, good on you, Uber. And for anyone else who I think has a chance to really play a part of this, I think it's a great lesson for all of us to learn. I love it. I love when businesses lean in and help with sort of like civic duties. <laughs> um, like another great example of this is businesses who support folks voting yep. and provide the space, time and energy and, and financial means in a way to, to help uh, facilitate that. And this feels very, very worthwhile and worthy as well, a la voting in, in elections. And so it's really, really exciting to see companies leaning in and helping remove barriers to this country and the globe um, getting over this, you know, pretty devastating pandemic. Totally, totally. Well, let's move on to today's interview, which I'm so excited to share. This is a story that I had been following kind of live on Twitter as it was unfolding. Um, some folks that are, are good friends of the company. But before we do, LB, I got a question for you. Do, do you remember the exact moment in time when you first realized, okay, the next year or whatever of my life is going to be radically different because of this virus. Yeah. AK, I wish I could say it was like late March or April of 2020. The truth is I definitely fell into the camp. I remember in March or I think like late March when, you know, the shutdown in San Francisco is becoming real. No one was going into offices because San Francisco and tech both reacted pretty quickly and pretty strongly. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I can't imagine if we're not going to be in offices until like August of 2020. And then I think it really sunk in probably November, December of this year that this thing was going to go beyond a year. So I was late to really accept that fact, but probably kept my mental health in a better place. How about you? Yeah, I think it did. I I did not take care of my mental health at all because I I do remember the moment. I remember we were at a WeWork right here in Phoenix. There was about six of us crammed in a little glass office area. And we were like having conversations with HR. Are we going to shut down? Are we not going to shut down? I remember looking around thinking, this is probably my last time in this office for a while. I can't remember who knows how long, but I kind of looked around a little bit. 
And this is when the toilet paper bonanza was going on. And so <laughs> rushed to Safeway on my way home, bought like a ton of frozen food that I still have in my freezer. Not, I don't know what I was thinking, but. Were you one of the panic shoppers? I was a panic shopper, but okay. it was mostly more frozen food than it was toilet paper. Okay. I can, I can like forgive that. I think okay. a, a bit more. <laughs> Good. Yeah. If you ever, I've got about 48 chicken patties still in my freezer. Uh, if anyone is in the market, but I, <laughs> I had the chance to sit down with Amelia Ibarra, who's the SVP and GM at Saster. Saster, for those that don't know, is really a media company that's become kind of a vendor neutral voice into the uh, SaaS community and subscription business uh, community, really for founders, entrepreneurs, and executives in uh, the subscription businesses. So they've done an incredible job. Amelia was telling me that she could pinpoint the exact moment when she first had that sinking feeling that something was about to change. And in her case, it was that they were loading in for a 20,000 person plus conference that day when the world shut down, which is kind of crazy to consider back in March. Yeah. And Saster was one of the last conferences to kind of cancel, right? Right on the bubble, really, as, yeah. as things were closing down. So we actually talk about that decision. We talk about her um, pivot to virtual events and kind of how that mm -hmm. has been going and really what's next for Saster in 2021 in this exclusive interview. So let's go ahead and take a listen. We tend to remember some of the most catastrophic moments of life with the most precise level of detail, regardless of how much time has passed. As an example, where were you on 9-11? It's 20 years ago now, and most of us still remember the exact time and place. I know I do. I remember I was a small child growing up in Los Angeles, upstairs in my parents' room, glued to the TV, really begging my mom not to let me go to school that day for fear of what was happening in the world around us. Now, for most of us outside of China, it was less than a year ago that a catastrophe intersected our lives that has since become much more devastating, well, at least in terms of the death toll than September 11th. So where were you? The COVID-19 pandemic didn't hit us all at once one morning. It sort of crept up on us and gradually, and then suddenly we were right in it. News reports came in about a worsening sickness in Wuhan that turned to lockdowns and then social distancing over the course of months, not a course of hours. And since then, of course, tragically, over 2 million lives have been lost around the world. It's hard to pinpoint the moment that you know your life's about to change. But my guest today can pinpoint each moment where she knew that her life and work were about to be upended. I'm so excited to tell the story of uh, a company that has been close to my heart for, for many years, my entire career, but also one that is a, another story of perseverance, perseverance through the uncertainty of this season. So uh, I'm so excited to have Amelia Ibarra on the show. She's a general manager uh, and SVP at Saster. And I feel like everyone knows Saster, but for those that don't, it's, it's the world's largest community of SaaS executives, founders, and entrepreneurs. Uh, and Amelia organizes all of Saster's now famous events. And she was right in the middle of executing the, the ma major conference in the Bay Area, Saster Annual, when all of this came to a head. So Amelia, thanks so much for being on the show and willing to, to share your story. Yeah, thanks for having me, Anthony. All right. So we have a, a little tradition on part of business that we start with. Uh, that's called the weird question of the week. Okay, I'm ready. 
All right. So we, we both share, uh, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, some heritage from Los Angeles. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. And we both made the move up the five to the Bay Area. Yep. Although yeah, I'll admit, I actually ended up leaving San Francisco about two years ago, but still have uh, spent about 10 years there. So my weird question is this, which of the two cities, LA or San Francisco, is truly the better city in California? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> um, they're so different, as I'm sure people know, right? Or have a sense. I honestly feel like in my career, SF like will always be near and dear to my heart. And it's like where I want to be. But LA, you know, growing up there, it's just so crazy. You know, you hear people talking about the industry and it's not Silicon Valley. It's, you know, Hollywood entertainment. Like I have so many friends who are in the industry. Um, so it's crazy. when I'm like, yeah, I'm in the industry too, but like the SF industry, which is dead. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have to go with SF on this one. Um, but LA will always be near and dear to my heart for, you know, having grown up there and spent a lot of time there. Um, and the weather is obviously a little better. So. Totally. I agree. I split the difference. I've got a, I wear a Laker hat and a Giants hat. So it's unspoken in Dodger circles, but anyway, I try, to, try to split the difference. <laughs> Um, so tell me for, for the, like one person listening who has not heard of Saster, what is Saster exactly? And T- tell us a little bit about just how you thought about events, both pre-pandemic and then now how you guys are thinking about events kind of moving forward. Yeah, for sure. So for those who don't know, um, Jason Lampkin, who's our founder and CEO, started Saster um, about 10 years ago now. Um, you know, it was really born out of, at the time, this want to give back and share information, which is really what we've built our community of staff CEOs revenue leaders and founders around is, you know, sharing knowledge, giving back, giving, you know, the secrets, the playbook to um, how to scale. So at heart, we're really a global community of SaaS CEOs and founders who come together through, you know, the content on our website, disaster.com. We have an official disaster podcast, which Anthony has been on a few times, Um, you know, and then uh, famously our event, disaster annual first started, um, and it had like this amazing lineup of folks like Aaron Levy from Fox came, Stuart Butterfield from Slack came. Um, and back then they, you know, they, they weren't like the tech giants they are today. So it was like somewhat early days and they came and like shared the secrets, you know, they're unscripted. Um, so it really came out of the sense and want of like building a community around like, okay, how did those folks do it? How do I do it? Let me give back and share my secrets so that others can can do it too, right? And just really uplifting everyone together. So that's sort of how Saster got its start as like a blog and then turned into event to sort of bring folks together. Because at the time, right, like 10 years ago, there weren't a lot of staff events. There were a few, um, definitely not as many as there are today. Um, obviously, there's a lot. And then considering COVID, there's a lot more digital events. Um, but that's really where the events came out of. And, you know, there, the meetups, turn into the Sastry annual and then the Sastry annual just got bigger and bigger year over year as you know more folks grew and I love the stories of our events of people who you know come as they come as attendees and they come back later as like a speaker or you know they have like a, a unicorn story so it's it's really fun to see you know the community sort of like grow up with you so like I haven't been um in the Sastry community forever um but it has been nice you know just in the in the three years of my being at Sastry to see how much folks have grown and where they go off to and like, um, you know, people kind of throw their oats in the SaaS community. So that's been really fun. 
Um, and I know, you know, you, you mentioned in this intro, like viscerally remembering events and where you are when there's sort of this black swan event, right? So um, the Sastra Annual is our biggest event. We typically have about 10,000 folks come from all around the globe, right? Like sometimes crazy how far these people fly. I'm like, for our event? Like that's, yeah. so, that's so flattering. It's crazy. But <laughs> I remember, right, we, this, there was like this crazy juxtaposition moment. I so viscerally remember there's like two moments like burned, like steered into my brain from now until <laughs> like my end times. Um, the first one is sort of like what you mentioned, right? Like I remember it being December. We had like a small faster meetup in Miami that we were just, you know, doing right. a casual meetup. And I remember Jason's like, did you hear about this virus? Like it might affect us. And like, for those who don't know, Jason Lemkin is always like 10 steps ahead. Right. So he's already like <laughs> reading all the news. He's like calling doctors and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like it's December. We're at the beach. It's warm. We're having yeah. a meetup with folks. Like, what do you, th- what's Wuhan? Like, where's Wuhan? Right. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, honestly, I was like, are you, I thought it was a joke almost. I was like, I don't know what you're talking. There's not going to be a crazy virus that could take out like events. And right. no, I was like, no, no, no. Like I haven't heard of it. So it must be fine. Right. Like it's not in the mainstream news. We shouldn't worry about it yet. And then I remember like I had stayed extra time in Florida um, to go to Disney world. Cause I'm not so secretly a Disney fanatic. Um, <laughs> so I remember being at Disney world and like, I'm reading more and more articles while, you know, there's lines. I'm like, I'm like elbow, like jam packed next to people. And I start to read all these articles. Cause I'm like, okay, well I got to start looking up this like pen, like coronavirus thing that he was talking about. Right. Like just to see if we need to prep and like do anything. And so I'm like, okay, how am I reading about this? Like super viral illness while I'm like jam packed next to people in warm weather. Nobody really knows about it. Like this is before people were wearing masks. This is before social distancing. This is before any of that right like literally life as we used to know it um so that was like one moment where i was like oh my god how is this happening where i'm like next i'm in a crowded space and yet i'm hearing about this super deadly virus that's coming out right you're like right shouldn't there be more information like should there be more you know yeah available so that was a bizarre moment and honestly from that moment on which was like early december it just you know, we started to take it more seriously. I was like, okay, well, this is definitely not a joke and something to be taken light. Like this is something we have to take seriously. Um, we should start planning for as much as we can. And we try to get our hands on just as much news as possible. Right. Which I feel like everyone does now, um, with COVID, but back then, you know, it was December. It was still early. There was still nobody wearing a mask. There was no guidelines. People were still out. Like we were still at the office. So it, it was pretty much life as normal. So we just started to like get as much information as we could try and prep as much as we could. Um, and that's what we did in the months leading up to it. So like since the beginning of December to, you know, let's say mid Feb, um, obviously more news came out. COVID was getting worse at that point. Um, but the offices, you know, were still open. Nothing was shut down. Some of the early tech conferences like RSA were still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So it was like this weird environment. We sort of found ourselves in with events where it was like, okay, we're either going to be the last event to get to host yeah. its event or we're going to get shut down, right? So 
Um, there was a lot of talks around that. I think famously, right, um, we wrote up our health and safety guidelines for the Sassery Annual, assuming we could still have it. Um, it ended up getting published in like, you know, TechCrunch in the New York Times about like, no handshake, like right. wash your hands, stay six feet apart. And this was like before masks were mandated, right? So it was a little, at the time, it was a bit forward thinking. Right. Um, and some saw it as like maybe over the top, but now you're like, that's the standard that's yeah. normal just i'm quite curious as you guys were kind of building those standards so for those that don't know we can we can definitely share that in the the show notes but definitely yeah. potentially now is the the standard for live I events know. when we do open up again did you guys talk to like local authorities health experts how did you come up with with that stuff honestly it was a little scary how much we were on our own like we oh, wow. did try and talk to folks um we obviously like Jason's much more of a consumer of news than I am. Like he, he tried to read just everything and everything he could get his hands on about health and safety, about what to do. I mean, it helped just to be smart about things. Right. Um, but we were almost alarmingly on our own. Like we kept asking folks for guidelines, like who, like we were just asking, who do we know at whatever health and safety department or at the city, at the state, at the County level, who can give us some guidelines to safely host this event. And honestly, it was, it was shocking the amount of the lack of like information and guidelines that there were. So we just came up with like, okay, well, if we're seeing that it's, it's at the time, you know, touch was like really a thing where we thought it was spreading through touch versus droplets, which we know now, right? So we were like, okay, well, if it's spreading through touch, like we should not let people shake hands. We, we have to, um, you know, we were setting up the theaters so that people would get chairs so they wouldn't be so close to each other. Um, we were doing things like no contact, like food and beverage. Um, we were putting like extra hand washing stations, extra, we were making sure there's literally hand sanitizer, like every two feet so that you never felt like, you know, it was uncleanly. Um, but I mean, honestly, a lot of it we had to do on our own. We had to find our own like temperature scanning vendor. We had to find our own, we had to source our own PPE basically that we could then give to our partners and speakers if they wanted it. So it was a little bit scary, right? To be so in uncharted waters. So that, that was a bit scary um, for sure, because there, there wasn't as much readily available, like knowledge wise as there is now, right? Like now, now you can find that information more readily. And I'm sure we're we're still, you know, we, we talk about returning to in-person and we want to have it as safe as possible. And we, we talk now, right. About like, still requiring masks, even if you are vaccinated, like probably still doing no handshakes, right? Like we still are probably going to use some of the rules that we had come up with originally, even for a return to in-person just to go above and beyond. Cause above all else, right? Like we, this is people's lives. Like we want to have a safe event and we want to have a great environment that fosters community sharing and learning. And you can't do that if you don't feel comfortable. So totally, you know, uh, if anything else, we wanted folks to be comfortable, but yeah, I mean that like, unfortunately we did have to come up with a lot of it ourselves and, um, hopefully that won't be the case this time around. Totally. Well, let, let's time box this. Cause I do remember being in San Francisco for RSA yep. this February and yep. there were thousands of people on the streets. Uh, when the con the conference was in March or was it February? Yeah, it was in March. So it's going to be okay. like the the first week of March. So it was like right after RSA, right? And I remember yeah. we went to RSA to be like, okay, well, what are they doing yeah. for health and safety, right? And they, 
again, they didn't do much, but I don't, this is not like a diss on them. Again, there's not that much information yeah. out there, right? So that's understandable that they didn't have a lot of time um, or prep or protocols in place from, you know, the state or the county to say, oh, you need to put this in place to have a safe event. So, yep. RSA happened. We watched it. We went, we observed it. We were like, okay, like they sort of got a pass on being maybe one of the last events to be held in SF, right? And then we were honestly just on the phone with the venue, with the any state official we could get, anybody in health and safety, our, you know, our events production team, anybody who had a line in to be like, okay, everybody just keep us posted because this is when cases were first on the rise and they were just, you know, going up and up. And we were like, hopefully we can have our event. Like it was going to be March <laughs> 10th through 12th, right? And I remember um, the Friday before, we were supposed to start loading. As many folks know, you know, in event production, you have to start loading a few days before, especially for an event at faster scale. There's a lot of booths to be built. There's stages that have to be dropped in. AV's got to get set up. There's a lot of contractors <laughs> roaming yeah. around, right? Like a lot of hammers and nails happen in there. So I remember the day before load-in, we're like watching the live stream of the Santa Clara County um, like council leadership meeting, right? And they're like, oh, we've just decided with the state that events over 50 people are not allowed. Wait, the day of the load-in is when that the happened? The day before load-in. The day before load-in? Oh my the gosh. The day before load-in. So what do you think about the day before load-in? Like the trucks are already moving, right? Yeah, like, wow. Friday's the day they park. Thursday before, they're like, trucks are on their way. And clearly, travel wasn't, I believe, shut down at that time. So Correct. you had attendees like flying in Correct. at this point. Wow. We had attendees flying in. We had AV getting shipped from Texas. I had speakers flying in. I had, you know, the rest of our event production team coming in. Lots of people getting on planes because to your point, right, uh, travel was not shut down yet. So right. It was like all the wheels were in motion and we're watching this live stream and they're saying events over 50 people cannot be held. And we're all sitting, you know, all of Team Faster, there's not many of us, but like all 10 of us are like in a conference room with some of our events team, uh, you know, huddled watching the stream and there's just silence, right? Like this, this, this silence I've never heard before because it was so eerily quiet. And I think it lasted like, Honestly, it felt forever, but it probably was like 10 minutes of pure silence. Gosh. Um, and then I remember Jason was like, well, that's, that's that, right? Like it's, it's a mandate from the city and the county. Like we, obviously we shouldn't fight it, so we won't. And it is what it is. So let's just try and pick up the pieces. And honestly, like I took like probably another 10 minutes to recover. I was like, you're ahead of me and you're like trying to go into action mode and I need like 10 minutes just to not cry, but just like compose myself. Totally. Like this event we've been working on for over a year can't happen now. Right. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well I'm, I try and prep for everything, but you just don't, this is the one you don't see coming. Right. Absolutely. In that moment, you're sort of, you know, gather yourself. You're, you're trying to figure out what's next is the first thought. All right, we're moving to virtual or what was the decision like to say, okay, the show will go on in some way, shape or form. No, honestly, it was, let me get on the phone and let me email everyone, right? Like, let me tell people if they're not traveling already to not travel, right? Because again, to your point, there was no, there still sort of isn't now. There is a bit, right? But there wasn't a global response. There wasn't a 
U.S. nationwide response. Like it was sort of state by state, which are kind of is still. So I was like, I've got to tell people not to come then. Like if it's literally like not, it's illegal for us to host our event uh, due to what's happened with COVID. I've got to call people. So I remember like I called my event production company first for those who weren't in the room with us, right? I was like, okay, let's, here's a list of all of our vendors. Let's split up this list. And you guys call these folks. I'm going to call these folks. Like, let's just move into action and call everybody that we can and tell them not to get on a plane, tell them, you know, stop, stop shipping what you're shipping. Don't come like there won't be a load in, like it's illegal. Um, and honestly, a lot of the folks we talked to were like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm about to get on Southwest. They're going to serve me a cocktail. Like, (laughs) what do you mean you can't have an event? Right. And I was like, I don't know. Trust me. They just said it's illegal in Santa Clara County. Like you can't cut, like don't come get off the plane. Like literally a few folks were on the plane. And I remember being like, can can you get off? Like dead serious. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm serious. That's not happening. It's illegal. Like get off the plane. And they're like, okay. Like if you're sure. And I'm like, I'm sure get off yeah. the plane. Wow. Most of us, I think back in March, we're still trying to wrap our head around, do I have enough toilet paper? Because that's a thing yeah. that I have to worry <laughs> about. So like, there's the personal weight of what was happening yep. in the world in March. And then now it's like, y- you had to like worry about that. But also you had this responsibility to thousands of people and partners and yeah. everyone. What, was it hard to, to focus on the work? with the personal kind of, you know, toll that COVID was taking or how did you kind of balance both? I mean, honestly, it it comes and goes. Right. And I, I still feel like there are days where I, I definitely miss the office. Like I was just chatting with, you know, one of our team members, Caitlin, we just did a webinar and I was like, it's a bummer. I can't like, you know, take you out to lunch after have a beer with, you You know, we just had a digital event last week and I was like, Oh, it's such a downer in the digital format that I can't take my team out like right after. Right. Like, you have such a high of like hosting a great event and then you're like, okay, well, cheers via Zoom. And like, I guess everyone's just going to go sit on their couch now. Like it's not the same, but honestly, it came out of a need to still stay true to Sasper's roots, right? Which is, okay, like we took obviously a moment to try and just, we took a moment just to take a pause, right? Um, of like, okay, well, if we can't host the event in person, We've told everybody who needs to be told, you know, we gave the team a break because it was like, obviously there's a lot happening, like take care of yourselves and then we'll reconvene. You know, we were talking to a lot of folks about like, would you want to do a digital event? Would you be interested? What would you talk about? Like, are you able to share any insights and learnings? And a lot of folks, you know, like Nick Meadows, who's obviously a a bestie of yours, (laughs) (laughs) was chatting with us on, you know, how it was similar to, you know, the market crash and like that, you know, that sort of black swan event. So he was one of the first folks to do something digital with us. Um, and then we just had a bunch of folks who were like, oh, I saw what you guys did with Nick. And I know you guys had to, you know, postpone the annual as an in-person event. Like we would come to something digital and we're like, okay, well, if there is an appetite for it, we, we were typically against digital because obviously it's not the same, right? Like, we do them now and we host a number of digital events and we have a number of digital events slotted for 2021. And they are great because at, at its core and at Faster's core, it really aligns on us still being able to give folks who are CEOs and founders access to people they wouldn't normally get access right. to. Right? right. So like Stuart came back and spoke at, and this was before the Salesforce acquisition. So back in April, 
he did our first digital event that we did that was sort of born out of this need to like, you know, keep the industry moving forward. Um, and he came and he was, you know, I remember he had like a parks and rec background on his zoom. <laughs> he was just like in his attic or something crazy. Um, you know, totally unscripted and was just chatting with us and, you know, giving advice to folks. And I'm like, okay, like this is why faster will faster is yeah. not killable in that sense. Right. Like, totally. yes, we had this very terrible black swan event, which is like, yeah, we can't have an event, but obviously what's going on with COVID is way worse than us not right. being able to host an event. Um, but it's nice that, you know, we can still deliver value to folks and still have a sense of community even in these times. So that's sort yeah. of where it came out of. And then we just, you know, did more and more of them because folks just kept coming. So we just yeah. kept doing them. <laughs> well, let's talk about the value side of community, I guess. You know, we, the, I think the reason we started this podcast, when we talk about heart of business, we think that the intersection point of companies and brands and their customers, that's the sort of heart. Yep. Um, of any company. And of course, for you all, it's it's the community members, it's the speaker community. It's not just obviously the folks that come to consume from thought leadership and best practices, but those that, uh, what would you say earlier? They kind of grew up in Saster. I feel like yeah, I have in a they way. Grew up with that. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, as a speaker, as a, as a audience member, as just a member of the Saster community. So if, as you think about that, the connection point between you know, you all, and maybe even connection point between folks within the community. Did that happen at, at annual? Did it happen in the virtual format? Did you see evidence of connection and learning? And did you get good feedback from your audience that, hey, like y'all pivoted and you were dealt a, a tough hand, but hey, I really got a lot out of this. Yeah, for sure. So it's something where, um, you know, folks definitely, it's nice um, to get that feedback and engagement loop from our community members, right? Um, we're so used to having it at the in-person event, right? Like folks will come up to us and be like, oh, even even me, which I'm like, how do you even know? <laughs> I'd be like, how do you know who I am? Like, obviously like people will try and like, you know, talk to Jason all day long at our events. Um, but they'd be like, are you Amelia? Are you the one who like does this? And I'm like, <laughs> kind of, yeah. And they're like, oh my God, this is such a great event. Like I found a new hire or I made some new friends or, you know, I, People get funded at Saster Annual. I'm like, oh, they're like, I literally have like, they, they would show me like their physical like notebook full of like notes. They're like, I've got to bring my team back. Um, there's like a large contingent of like Aussies who come every year. They literally have like their SKO, then they go to Saster, right? Like it's this super nice community feeling that I love having in person because obviously you feel like the energy in the room and people are just so stoked. Um, so it's nice to hear those like success stories come out of it. So yeah, in the digital format, right, we're trying to do that. Obviously it's not the same because we're not all in the same room. Um, but I have heard folks who are still like, you know, uber grateful of the learnings. I've had more international folks reach out mm. than, you know, we've gone digital, um, who are like, you know, I could never afford to go to the South Annual. Yeah. So it's like awesome for them that they can get the digital content, um, and come to some of the free events that we've had digitally. Cause it's been like this new resource for them um, that they couldn't tap into previously. Um, So that's been great. And again, there are still folks who are like, you know, doing meetings and meeting through Saster and they're still getting funded. They're still finding their next, you know, great hire Um, and just making a lot of good connections. Like I've personally made a lot of good connections with just some of the folks that have either attended or been a speaker or, um, you know, whatever it may be related to Saster. So it's nice to have a community and, you know, have the community support us in that way so that we could, keep going because there were definitely times right where like personally i was like 
should we keep doing this? (laughs) The world is so crazy right now. Um, You know, you get a bit deflated just being home. You can't see your team. You're like, are events the right thing to do? Right. For sure. I I think if anything, it's taught us the the importance of community and belonging in our lives. Right. Um, So I think we're all okay with virtual. And your point about inclusivity, I think is interesting that for folks that could never come live, be it budget reasons, family reasons, health reasons that you've given them kind of a a new window. Do do you see that? Do you see like hybrid events continuing being a thing kind of moving forward or is it live or virtual? Like how how do you guys think about the learnings coming out of 2020? This is like the number one question I get just of any folks um, that I meet with lately, right? It's something where I'm like, okay, let's all take a beat and like define hybrid because I do feel like there's 200 different definitions for a hybrid event. I'm like, if you're just going to do a return to in-person events and live stream, you know, hall one or whatever it may be, that's not really a hybrid event. Like that's just live streaming your event, which (laughs) Sasser has done since like the first Sasser annual. Like that's not really new and it's not really reflective of a truly hybrid event or of the times, right? So it's funny, like internally, we we sort of think about it perpendicularly, uh, meaning like, this is like a, a phrase that Jason coined, right? Of like, you have to think about doing a almost completely like separate events that have an intersection, right? So like, there's a completely digital component to let's say the Sastra Annual and there's a completely in-person yeah. component to the Sastra Annual. And at some intersections, they cross, right? Um, but what do you think about the implications for hybrid? It sort of breaks down really fast, which is why we don't super love this term hybrid, right? Like, for instance, our digital events start really early Pacific Coast time, like 7 a.m., right? That's when most people tune in. That's when the most people watch, again, because globally, it's either late in the day or, you know, afternoon for them, um, even though it's super early for us. But 7 a.m. would be a ridiculous time to ask people to come in person to like a San Francisco based event, right? They'd be like, I have to get up at what time? Like, I'm not ready for that yet, right? So that alone is where, like, it's already starting to break down there. It's like first thing in the morning. Um, so we try and, you know, when we're in the midst of our planning right now and like the thick of it, and we're trying to think through, okay, how do we make them sort of perpendicular so that it's a really great digital event if you just come digitally? It's a really yeah. great in person event if you just come in person. And it's some crossroads they meet, right? Like we yeah, combine yeah. some sort of networking. We have some sort of other offering for sponsors so that they can meet both parties. Um, you know, we will, we will, of course, you know, stream some of the content to the digital audience. And then we'll have some content that's just digital only. And like, it doesn't mean that if you're in person, you can't, you know, while you're getting ready, watch a session that we're, we're sure. streaming live, right? Because it is early. Um, and then go to sessions in person later in the day. So yeah. that's sort of how we're thinking about it. Because I just feel like, hybrid has become this almost lazy term of like, I'm going to live stream and I'm going to like have some faces from the zoom on like, you know, the, at the in-person stage and that sort mm-hmm. of it. And I'm like, but that's not really a value to them either. Totally. And it's not really a value to the in-person folks if at some point they don't intersect. So that's right, really what we're right. trying to, to nail down. Right. That's super interesting. You know, I, I've got a big, conviction behind events, uh, myself or my last company, you know, I think the story of an event team without a global pandemic 
is already a story of resilience <laughs> and patience and pulling <laughs> off the impossible. Yeah. So, um, you know, just having, having had a seemingly a front row seat, at least on Twitter to, to, you know, the, your guys' story, I just can't commend you all enough for putting the customer first in your decision-making pivoting and, and really kind of delivering, uh, a lot of value to the SaaS community, you know, last year. All right. Before we close, we have one last segment. It's called Speed Round. So you have five seconds or less to answer oh, each man. of the questions below. You ready? All right. No pressure. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. The best book you've read recently. Mm, it's, um, what is the title of the book I've been reading? It's called You Should Talk to Someone. It's not a book I would normally read outside of pandemic times. Um, it's a book written about a therapist who breaks down and goes to another therapist. Oh, wow. um, mental health is obviously something that I've become very fascinated with from like a team's perspective, um, from a personal perspective. Yeah. Um, so it's a really great book because you get these insights into like a therapist who is, she's a real therapist. She's like talking about some of her like clients that she had, but also how she eventually goes to therapy herself. Um, and sort of her journey around it. It just, it's been a crazy good read. Um, even if it's like, if it doesn't sound like it's your cup of tea, it actually might be. Yeah. It's just so fascinating um, because it opens your mind into like lines of questioning you wouldn't normally ask yourself. Like interactions, you're like, oh, I do that. Oh, that's not great. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm, I'm writing it down here at my side. Well, I definitely want to check it out. Good one. Uh, I'll send you the awesome, link. <laughs> awesome. All right, the next one. What is your favorite podcast? Of course, not this one or Saster podcast. Ooh, um, uh, that's a good one. You know, ironically, I used to really love the Robin Hood snacks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can't say that now, though. Um, I did like the Bite Size version of it because it was like 50 seconds and it's like the best news of the day. Um, <laughs> I feel awesome. like I don't even like I was like I feel like I can't say that one. <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I have to give a shout out to you know Harry Stebbings, who's our, yeah. our podcast host. He he does the Sasser podcast, but also the Twenty Minute VC, which is such a great podcast. Um, and then personally, you know, I really like the Daily. Yeah. It's, it's from the New York Times. The Daily is just a great one, and that that was one where I used to listen to it on my drive all the time, and I I still listen to it awesome. now. So. Speaking of your drive, work from home or work from the office? Oh, man. I want to go back to both. Like, there are days where I like working from home because I can zone out and get things done. Yep. And there are days where I completely miss the office um, and the energy of the office, and I really feed off of it. So I do think when, you know, faster, faster become distributed, but I want to go back to sort of a, a mix of both. Awesome couple more here favorite purchase you made during quarantine <laughs> that's an easy but embarrassing one um <laughs> you know i've invested in a pair of house slippers it's not embarrassing they're that's like amazing. house slippers they're like slides technically if you know what a slide slipper is um they're super comfortable and i can't really wear shoes all day around the house so my best purchase. yeah that's awesome. I got. Uh, uh, I'll join you on this one. I got a weighted blanket. Ooh, I have one too. That might have changed yeah. my life. Awesome. Totally. 
All right, and the last question, uh, what's a brand out there, B2B, B2C, whatever, that uh, you admire the most? Yeah, ooh, great question. I used to work for a number of B2C brands, so this is hard. Um, you know, I love, I love what some of the makeup brands are doing out there today. Um, I just think there's not really one in particular that I admire the most, um, but I used to work for a number of makeup companies, so I'm always fascinated about what they're doing. Um, I think how they think about influencer marketing, how they think about e-commerce, how they're, you know, trying to use things like Clubhouse is just so fascinating to me. So I'm going to cop out and not give you a specific one, but that's one where I just like, you know, I still watch a lot of YouTubers and that sort of thing. So um, that's one where I'm just like almost light obsessed. All right, Amelia, thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing your story. Um, and we can't wait to be a part of Saster, virtual, live, whatever perpendicular version comes out in the future. We are in. <laughs> I so, love it. Uh, so excited. Yeah, thanks for the support <laughs> and uh, thanks for having me, Anthony. Awesome. Thanks so much. You're listening to Heart of Business. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Now back to the show. That interview was incredible, and I can't imagine being in the world of live events as the pandemic hit, right? Like, just talk about very akin to the travel industry, the restaurant industry, a lot of shakeup going on in the events world. Um, But there were a couple of things that really struck me. First of all, the value of one-to-one deep personal relationships always matters, but it really shows up in moments of crisis. And the fact that Amelia stayed up until past midnight on the day that they canceled to call everyone and adjust and amend travel plans and just explain the situation, of course, you can always do that as a business, but it's a lot easier when you have already built the trust and have that relationship. And you're already starting that conversation off from kind of a a place of, of credibility and empathy and understanding. And so I think as businesses, we just can't underestimate the ability to make that pick up that phone and make that phone call and having that be a, a lot easier and facilitated by already having a, a credible and, and you know deep personal relationship. And then the second is that while I still believe, and clearly Amelia does too, there's no substitute for that energy of in-person, virtual events do offer the possibility to make things a lot more accessible, right? And Saster wouldn't have been able to get Stuart Butterfield if not for the ease of jumping on a video conference. And chances are they wouldn't have had 17,000 people attend and join if it were live. So there is something about that interesting balance between getting in-person events back up and running and some pent-up excitement to do so, because uh, there is something irreplaceable about that energy, but also just thinking through how COVID may have permanently changed the, the landscape of the event space and how virtual is going to be a thing. And there's some benefits like accessibility that are probably here to stay. Yeah, totally agree with that, LB. Well, look, that is all we have for this episode. So please remember to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review as well. As a reminder, you can follow the Heart of Business podcast as well as other great stories on how teams and customers are working together to make missions possible by subscribing to Front Page, the editorial site we've recently launched for founders, executives, and customer-facing teams. Follow us on Twitter at FrontApp or by going to frontapp.com backslash blog. See you next time.
Heart of Business is a FrontPage production, brought to you by Front, the leader in customer communication. FrontPage is the trusted resource for leaders who believe in the impact of meaningful connections with customers. You can find more inspiring stories at frontapp.com slash blog or on Twitter at FrontApp. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode of Heart of Business.